0: Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget.
1: Welcome everyone and <clears throat> thank you for coming to today's show. I'm going to answer, one of the first things I'm going to do today is answer a question from a man who is 27 years old and he's worried that he has something wrong with him. And here's his question. Hello, and of course we'll remain completely anonymous. Hello, so I'm going to answer this, and I, of course, am going to be answering back to him. But it's, hello, how are you? I'm a 27-year-old male. I have had this lust for women that have been motherly figures, if you can grasp that. Not my mom at all, or... Am I even kin to them? But a couple of women dated my dad a few months. Also, for mature-aged women like 60 and above, and here's why I, I wanna just make sure that, you know, steer this guy straight on this. I know it's not right, but I can't help it. it what, it's what drives me. What's wrong with me? Well, question, answer, question, person. There is nothing wrong with you. Likely, what has happened is we are very programmable as human beings, bless us, we just are. So maybe what has happened is you have been watching um, porn, you have been looking at you know things that, um, and downloaded particular images that, and we never really know why some of the things are turn-ons for us. They just happen to be. Um, to give you another example, uh, a gentleman I know was very, very much into rubber and loved. It was uh, from a fetish standpoint, totally turned on by uh, rubber. And what it came back to was when he was a young boy, his mother uh, and the nanny would wear a rubber uh, apron and he would be rubbed up against it, you know, after he'd had a bath and that was very, you know, the tactileness of it was very stimulating to him, but it took him a while to figure that out. I will also say that from a trend in dating, I have seen more women that I know who are, you know, as you would say, Mature women are being approached by much younger men and particularly on dating sites. And part of that may well be that a number of these women are, you know, they're financially very secure. And the guys are like, okay, I want someone where I don't have to do, you know, it's more of the reverse of the, you know, the younger trophy wives with the older men but I know that I've had a couple of my friends who are you know very financially secure say they could not believe how many 35 year old men were approaching them and it may also be that there's who knows it may be that you know for this gentleman who's 27 and asking this question these are women who may have a uh, confidence about themselves, they know what they like, they are, you know, straightforward. And one of the things for both sexes that is highly attractive is someone who is confident and someone who knows what they like. Now, I don't know if these women were the women that were dating his father, is the clink to it, but I do feel that he is. Not, I don't know if, because the spelling is all kind of like fouled up on this thing, but he, um, it may be that he's just seen women who are confident and full-figured and motherly. I mean, there's a reason why there are MILFs, Moms I'd Like to Fuck, and DILFs, Dads I'd Like to Fuck. I mean, those two things exist. And I remember this is one person I know. He was working for he works, you know, in conjunction with the father of this uh, young woman who's in her early 20s. And he was walking, you know, from one from one office to another office. And the daughter was visiting, was there with her friend. And the friend said to you know the girl, so who's the DILF? And my friend was like, I'm a DILF. <laughs> it was, you know, once explained, it was like, you got to be kidding me. Nope, those things happen all the time. So, for this individual, I will let them know that this is there's nothing wrong with him. Um, what is our turn on is our turn on. For some women, it's you know dark hair. For other women, it's blonde hair. For other women, it's ginger hair. We don't know the things that you know. It may be something that when he was younger, he had a you know someone who took care of him, who knows? But the important thing is there is nothing wrong with him. That's the biggest thing I want to have him know. And you know, if he can find someone who is interested in being with him, chances are she'll teach him a lot about sex. Because likely she has a better idea of what she likes and knows and is willing to guide someone. So who knows? This may be a win-win for him, but waits to be seen. I will be asking him to get back to me and tell me how he's doing because, you know, I, I don't want people to feel shamed and I don't want them to feel there's something wrong. Excuse me, I just dropped something here. Um, I want them to know that, you know, healthy sexuality is something – It has to be nurtured. It, you know, it isn't something that it, you know, we are born of sexuality, no question. And then we start getting all of these incredibly negative messages about it. And that's what I would like to interrupt. That's what I try to do in every one of my shows is interrupt that message and turn it on its happy little ear. Now, one things one of the things I'm going to be talking about today, <clears throat> two or three subjects, I should say, because I will often have people tell me that they're still looking for love somewhere. They want to find someone who will love them, and who you know they want to be in a loving relationship. And many times the issue is them. They aren't very happy with themselves. They are you know sort of feeling that someone in order in order to validate themselves they need to be in a relationship and that couldn't be further from the truth another person does not validate you you validate yourself and when people are asking me and they're like you know I can't seem to find anybody I've tried internet dating I've tried this I've tried that well I ask them to go back to the beginning so if Your issue is you're not finding love in the relationship you're in or you're not finding it elsewhere or it's gone off the rails somewhere. Here's the questions that I would ask you. Who did you learn about love from? Who was the person that was kind of like your role model for this? Was it a particular person? Did you see someone who had you know a powerful loving relationship and that's what you wanted to mimic if any of you have ever watched Hallmark movies one of the things people are always talking about someone who has an incredibly long term relationship marriage you know usually the grandparents and that's what they want in their lives but i think what people also have to realize is that they're seeing the grandparents likely you know they're not in their home on an ongoing basis, they don't see when there's been issues, they don't see when things were upsetting. And I remember a friend of my mother's saying, in our generation, you didn't, you know, divorce, you simply didn't. And she said, you made your bed and you slept in it. And I mean, I've seen some people who have ended up staying in relationships because of that. And the only message that their children got is these two people are miserable and they should have been, you know, they would have been better off separate, you know, separated from one another years ago. So if it's a person that you're learning, you learned about love from, make sure they're a good role model. Another area that many people will look at and think is, okay, they'll look at, particularly for women, they will look at Books, they will look at romance novels, without a doubt, one of the biggest genres in uh, publishing, Um, or they'll look at movies and think that that's going to be the snapshot of them. But let's be honest, these books and the movies are fiction. So thinking that you're going to have someone come in. And behave like the person in the film or the person in the book all that does is set up like a broken it's like broken software it can't work the important thing if there's someone who has that good relationship who really does like themselves and they have a great loving relationship those are the people you want to be around be around people who do who do have love in their lives That's one of the strongest things I can recommend. Now, we're coming up to our first break. What I'm going to talk about when we come back is more things about who did you learn about love from. And then I'm also going to talk about who taught you about sex, because that is one of the other areas where people are getting just flawed, horrendous information, and they shouldn't be. Here come the tunes. I'll be back after this.
2: United States with quality programming. This is Tokinet Radio.
0: It's
2: have you ever found yourself in an airplane, seated next to a nonstop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with? When I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explaterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox—that's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps such as Plainly and Satisfly are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the Match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. Welcome back to
0: Sex Talk having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question be it function, sensation or something you've heard this is the spot it's sex talk with Lou on toginet.com and now back to your host Lou Paget.
1: hello everyone and welcome back before the break I had started with the topic area of who did you learn about love from? Because I often have people asking me, how do I go and find this? And it isn't, you know, it's not like the shopping. You know, it's not like going to the grocery store. You can't just sort of like drop in and get it. But what you can do is make yourself be more magnetic. And, you know, learning of, and being around people who do love one another, who like one another, who enjoy, you know, them, you know, their, their partner. That is one of the best places you can be. And I tell women this all the time. If you want to put your relationship in a form of jeopardy, start hanging out with angry divorced people. It will—it cannot help but rub off on you. And, you know, the movies are fiction. They're a romantic comedy. That's, you know, they're a romantic thing. They're not, you know they're not accurate. Sorry about that. I, I'm in an area that is very hot. So I'd had my little portable air conditioner on. Now I'm off. Now, the other thing that when I ask people, where did they learn about love from? And if they they sort of have this fantasy idea of what it is, I ask them to do a daily, you know, a daily, um, weekly calendar of what love would look like in their life and if they are with someone you know the first thing that happens when you're attracted to someone is we know you're on your best behavior or should be <laughs> and, but then what happens is the world sort of you know creeps in and people start becoming a little bit more of who they are and then the real world comes in where there's jobs there's bills there may be children, there may be stepchildren, there may be family that you have to take care of. And so one has to look at what are the different ways that you can be loving? Is it of time? Is it of being able to do something for someone when they just don't have the time to do it? A friend of mine, she loves her koi pond, loves her koi pond. It is... To put it mildly, her garden and the koi pond are her happy place. But the issue is that often she's been working so much, she doesn't have a chance to do this even on the weekends because she'd been doing other stuff for someone. And finally, her husband stepped in and started doing some of the actual physical time work that so she could enjoy it, but she didn't have to be doing the actual cleaning or the actual weeding. And that couldn't it, there probably couldn't have been anything more loving that he did. And that was something that she was like, "Wow, So a daily calendar, that can give you an idea of, are oh, you're going to be at work at this time? you're going to be here for that? You know, you can't be having, you know, The out for you know out to restaurant dinners every night—that's just not the thing that's going to work for many people. And also, you need to carve out time just for the two of you. That's another thing. And there's a woman I'm going to cover that in just a moment here. I heard her on Facebook today, and I thought this is so smart. And it's just it's it's a great idea for reconnecting and re-energizing a relationship. The other thing that I when I say to people, who did you learn about love from? For some people, they learned about love, not from human beings, but from animals. And truly, you know, if that can be one of the purest and most powerful forms of love that you can receive, which is why for many, when their animals die, it is more devastating than when a human dies because that animal was so connected to them and they were so connected to that animal. And I remember being told by a woman who was a therapist and, you know, talking about animals. And I always had been, people had always perceived me as being um, a little standoffish or a little aloof. And, Part of that was growing up in a household where I never really knew what kind of a mood my mother was going to be in. So I learned how to be an observer in case things were going to go off the rails because I was always the one that got yelled at. And I thought, so my friend had, she had these two great big, you know, they, were, they weren't Newfoundlanders, but they were like that big. They were huge, big white dogs. And then she also had these cats. And I would go over there, and we were working on writing a uh, pilot for TV. And I got there, and I would, I would be all over her dogs. I was like, oh, my God, you were so cute. You were so adorable. And the same thing with the cat. And she looked at me this one day. Now, remember, she's a therapist. And she said, do you realize that how differently your life would occur if you treated people the same way you treat animals? And I was like, wow, never even thought of that. And she said, you are so open. And she said, you know, so what if you have a dog that comes up and, you know, the dog snaps at you? You don't want to play with that dog. You just sort of no, you're you're no fun. Go away. She said, you can do the same thing with humans. And I will tell you, I did when I took my job at 20th Century Fox. My life was completely different. And it was a function of me being more open and, you know, not, you know, gushingly so because that's not me, but that having that openness to people and just talking. And by the way... When people are in um, in re, you know the uh, retirement communities, one that uh, that a girlfriend of mine is does some work with I can't remember the name of it, but she said that they did reviews of you know the things that have people live longer at these particular um, establishments, and they're the number one thing that has people live longer is having some form of connection and being around like-minded people, asking people, talking to people, having things that they can be doing. Because when people feel isolated and alone and separate, then they often, particularly for older women, they're often there many times all by themselves. And that's something that leads to, you know, Depression, all the all the other not great health impacts. But if you know that you know, it's a, it's about having putting you into the place of being connected with others. Now, for some people, they have never learned about love, and it's something that you know maybe they will have it, maybe they won't have it. But hopefully, for most people, they will have it at some point in their lives. Or they've had it before, it hurt too much when things ended, and they're not going to go there again. That's also a possibility. Now, this woman who I was telling you about, she came on, she was, um, it was a Facebook post, and she has had some really good posts. Uh, she did one where her son, who I think her son was eight or nine, and her son sits her down and he says, Mom, we've got to talk. And she's like, okay. And speaking of, you know, how do you have the conversation with your kids about sex and things? And she's thinking, you know, it's going to be something along those lines. And he sits down and he gets really, really serious. And he said, I I have to share this with you. And she was like, you know, she, at this point, she's getting scared. And she said, well, okay, go ahead. What is it? And he said, I have to let you know I'm straight. Now she did not burst out laughing because she realized that for him in his peer groups, there are some children who are identifying as being gay and their children are, you know, pre-adolescents, adolescents. They're being more open about, their sexual identity or their you know sexual you know their gender identity or their gender attraction at, at a much much younger age and she said thank you for letting me know because here's where the the gap is you know he did not know that for many people who would be parents that would be considered to be the norm And he wanted to be sure that he was doing the right thing with his own identifying. And I think that's a very, I think she had a, that, that for me was a very powerful video that she did. And she said, so we need to make sure that we listen and we listen in a way that they are very heard and We understand where they're coming from. So I thought, yeah, you know, I never would have thought of someone coming up to say, oh, um, I'm straight because that's, you know, we've got, you know, the the heteronormative uh, bias in our culture. Now, so what she said that she and her husband do, and I'm probably going to get through half of this because we're coming up to our second break. She said, you know how, you know, you're getting married and you're married and, you know, things kind of, you know, you're getting a little bored. Things are pretty all the same. And you're like, oh, you know, want to do something that has you and your spouse reconnect. She said she was talking about really going on a first date with her, with her, her husband. And she walked through the step by step of how she did it. And so it's kind of like, it's part that fantasy of running into your spouse at a bar and pretending you don't know one another. Um, But that's more of the fantasy of picking the person up at the bar. This, they have a very set format of what they do, and they do it once or twice a year. And she said, you cannot believe what we get out of this. And I, when I was listening to this, I was like, and I've never heard of anything like this. I've heard of the, the fantasy pickup in the bar, sure. That's, you know, that's, you know, old hat for that. But, but this was like, wow. And she said, the difference it makes for the two of them is amazing. And one of the reasons why, to me, was even more surprising. Here come the tunes, I'll be right back with how she goes on her first date.
2: Disturb sign has been around as long as there have been hotels where discretion was a bitter part of value. One lecturer at Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration traces the "Do Not Disturb" sign roots to the aristocracy of the early 20th century at grand establishments such as the Ritz in Europe. It sure is annoying when you just want to be a slug of bed and someone knocks at the door and says, "Housekeeping." What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. There are days when I wish I could wear a do not disturb sign around my neck. What do you call someone who wants to lay in bed all day? A scubber it's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never
3: heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. It's a fact that working out for 30 minutes a day will improve your health and make you feel oh so good. But if you are on a quest to lose weight, you should be looking to exercise aerobically for 45 minutes to an hour. I know that may sound daunting, but it's really not. You don't have to kill yourself to keep your heart rate up for 45 to 60 minutes. I know people who put their iPod on and walk for an hour a day. Consequently, they are losing weight, increasing their energy, and feeling great. On the other hand, if you're like me and want to maintain your present weight, then 30 minutes of cardio a day is perfect. The benefits of cardio exercise are vast, And even if you're not trying to lose weight, it is necessary and vital to your health. So schedule in your cardio exercise six to seven days a week and watch your health, energy, and outlook on life improve. I'm Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget.
1: Welcome back, everyone. So this is this. Now I'm going to go through the details of what this woman said she did um, with her husband. And it was something that, you know, as I said, she states that they do it once or twice a year. And what she does is she knows that sort of like the game is on when he sends her a text and says, hi, this is Philip," And they don't talk, you know, like when he comes home that night, they don't discuss anything about this. And they do all of the uh, connecting for their first date through texting as they might, you know, on, you know, coming from a dating website. And then what, She um, And to make it be, and they want it to be like a real first date. And as she said, I would, she said, when I'm getting ready, when I'm getting dressed, they take off their rings. And she said, I'm getting a little nervous. And she said, so he leaves and he goes somewhere and then arrives and literally rings the doorbell. She comes out. And they always go to a different restaurant. They don't go to the same restaurant that they've been to before. And she said that they truly talk about themselves. And this is the thing that she said was the most surprising thing for her: is normally when they're anywhere, they're talking about the kids, they're talking about the bills, they're talking about something you know connected to a house or whatever it is. But in these conversations, she said, the thing that was so surprising, she said, we've been together for years. But she said, when we are on our first date, she said, we literally learn something new about one another every time. And one of the things that makes, you know, when when you, when you are connected to someone, the oxytocin makes things nice and steady and but it is the other brain chemistry that is the thing that creates, you know, the, the heightened attachment, the, the risk of it, the, oh, is it going to work? And that's what they have done, but in a safe way for the children. Um, I have seen, I've, I've looked at these shows where people are wanting to bring things back into their lives. So as a married couple, they make arrangements, um, these reality shows, which I don't exactly know how real they're going to be, but they have the couples split up, and the wives switch places, and so they literally are connecting to <clears throat> the husband of the other couple. And it's something that I, I, I mean, what they've done in a couple of them is I've seen how The one person who is much more outgoing and much more, you know, wanting to try new things and a little more adventuresome, their own spouse isn't like that. So they match them with someone who is. Now, I don't know what the end result of some of these have been, but I can probably bet that some of the wheels have come off those vehicles in a quick, hot hurry Because many people now, they want to have the type of satisfaction in their relationship that they want. And so when I ask people, you know, what are you looking about, you know, with love? Maybe what they should be saying is they're looking for security. Maybe they should say, I'm looking for, you know, I don't want to have to, you know, do all this, you know, climb up the corporate ladder or do whatever. That's okay, but you just have to be clear that the reason you're with someone, don't tell someone you love them if you don't. Don't, and don't use a different definition than they have. Be on the same page about what love looks like. It's part of how you treat someone, it's part of how you talk to them. Love is not about being you know, jealous and possessive and controlling. Absolutely not. And anyone who tries to tell you that, and if any of you have ever been in something where someone will tell you, well, I'm doing this for your own good because I love you. Sorry, BS meter's going off really loud here. Do not buy into that crap. So who did you you learn about love from? Is it from another person, being around people? If it's movies and rom-coms, probably not your best. If it's a fantasy or, you know, you know, you can do that, but make sure you're clear that, you know, on a daily basis, what loving and loving behavior looks like. Because many times people kind of like skip over what loving behavior is. And loving behavior isn't just having sex. Not at all. Now, next question I will ask people if they're saying, well, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, completely attracted to the person. And um, I need to find them appealing or, you know, I'm not going to be able to uh, have sex with them or I'm not going to find them uh, appealing. I I get that. And I do have, you know, some friends of mine who they if if the person if that if that attraction is not there, they literally can't go there. I get it. But I also know that they are very particular. Again, that's okay. Um, You know, we can use um, George Clooney's wife, Amal, as an example. And she said, you know, I thought I was 35 and I thought, you know, um, I was getting ready to, you know, be a spinster for the rest of my life. And then, because she said she was not going to marry someone just to marry them. That was not, she said, if I was going to have children, I wanted it within a certain, you know, way that I wanted to raise children. I didn't want to just get married because I wanted to get married. It had to be with the absolute right person. And fortunately for her, she found that. Now, here's what I ask people when they, you know, talk about, well, I want to be, you know, attracted to them. And I say, so who taught you about sex? Who taught you about attraction? And if it's only about self-study, if it's only you, you know, you know, that's kind of a that's a, it's small, it's a small but, you know, limited um, sort of uh, sample size, because if it's just your reaction to how people are, that may not, you know, you may not have expanded the buffet of what's possible. And the other thing that sometimes surprises people is they think they know exactly what it is they want. They want to have someone who looks the list. When I was here, I'm talking about the list. They want someone who looks a particular way, has a particular job, does, you know, makes X amount of money. Well, there's a lot of people that can fit into that. But the real thing that makes someone attractive and someone you would want to love is their behaviors. So, you know, and if you're learning about sex from your friends, they may not be the best source either. Um, If it's friends with benefits, well, it may be sex, but it may be sex that's not overly satisfying for you. And if someone has learned only on a friends with benefit basis or on porn, There is something that, I mean, this is why I'm having young women who, you know, in their, you know, early 20s, they are being shocked that their mothers who are in their 50s are having better sex than they are. And that's because their partners don't know bubkas. And when I say bubkas, I mean nothing. They know how to get it in and thrust, and that's it. But they don't know women's bodies because porn has to a certain extent hijacked sex education in certain areas. So they'll say, well, they, you know, we've got a sex education component to it. Oh, really? I don't think so. Just ask anyone who is an actual sex worker and they will tell you that the positions they're in aren't all that comfortable, but they're there so that they can get a shot of this penis, you know, ramming into her vagina and you know she'll say you know the sex is not that great but it is something that by the time they do this they already know that this is um, they know that once they go into the porn industry these women know they're likely never they're never gonna be able to be a teacher they're never gonna be work around children they're never likely gonna be able to have particular jobs because they've gone into that field. Now, I think that's pretty ridiculous, because, you know, it, it it's not, they're doing it as a way to make money, and people think they're making a lot of money. Not necessarily. But, so who was it who taught these people about sex? And if it's, you know, someone who was a really good partner, touche, but it's also often Here's the issue with many times relative to learning about sexuality with someone or learning sex techniques with someone. People don't know how to ask the questions. So instead of saying, do you like this? The better way to say is, how can I better touch you? How? And Because then that puts, see how different that sounds? Instead of, would you like this? Or I'd like to try this. How would you like me? to, you know, use use my hand to show me how you like to be touched. And that is then someone giving feedback that is truly genuine and works. It could be something as simple as show me, you know, show me how you'd like me to use the vibrator on you. Let me know. These are simple things, but I will also tell you many times, Masturbating is for many people something that is even more vulnerable to do in front of someone than having sex and oral sex. Now, when we come back, I'm mean, going to continue with, you know, how, what happens with people, what gets, takes them out of the sexual area, and how to get things back on. Here come the tunes. I'll be back after this with more sex talk.
3: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Harvard Medical School reports that over 800,000 Americans have hip or knee replacement each year. It's better to stick with your own joint rather than having it replaced because the average joint that's replaced only lasts 10 to 15 years. So having the surgery done at age 50 instead of 70 means there's a good chance you'll need a second surgery when you are older and at higher risk for complications. They recommend that you take care when using your joints. And if you do have joint problems, try non-surgical approaches before turning to surgery. Your doctor may choose to use steroids or lubricating fluid injections to help ease the pain. But they say the most important thing you can do to care for your joints is lose weight. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com.
1: Please always remember, um, if you have any questions, just go to my website, hit the contact, boom, you can send a message. As I did at the top of the show, I answered one from a gentleman today who's 27-year-old male who is worried that he's attracted to women who have, you know, uh, motherly figures and, and are older. And who knows? You know, they're now realizing that people have, their your DNA has memory, so it could be that he had a massive Tremendously fabulous marriage with a woman who was older and you know from a previous lifetime. Now, um, coming back to, you know, who was it who taught you about sex? And you know, if if it was porn, chances are you're not you're getting someone else's fantasy of what to do. It's not you know going to be the best stuff for you, and it's typically not going to be about the woman's pleasure, invariably. Now. I'm going to go over what are some of the top reasons that people go to sex therapists. It is, there's a whole, you know, when all of a sudden, you know, the interest is off or there's been a problem somewhere. And for most people, you know, there's something when their relationships pull apart, it's because something has made them angry, one side or the other. And there's also, it could be, because there's money issues. For many people, having money issues is a huge stressor. They, cortisol works in direct opposition to testosterone. Cortisol gets created by your adrenals and it is the stress hormone. And it literally is the thing that can wipe out libido. I have, I remember a woman whose husband had been a very, very successful builder, and he was having a lot of trouble with his businesses, with things that were going on, and as a result, they had absolutely no sex life, and she was desperate to try and, you know, connect. It wasn't her, that, and that was her thing, and I said to her, do you realize And I asked, I said, is he having money issues? And she said, absolutely. I said, well, there's your answer. But people don't tell people this. And many times, to me, someone going to a sex therapist is going there to get information. Boom. That's it. It's not about creating an annuity and having someone, you know, keep going back again and again and again. This is about let's address what's going on and See if the two of you can move something forward. Now, if the anger is as a result of someone cheating, that's one of the toughest to take care of. Because sometimes people will, they'll end right away. And, you know, or they stay together. But the one person who was cheated on acts as, you know, the sheriff constantly to try and, you know, find if there's going to be anything else. And they never let this person live it down, ever. So the other person never can, you know, heal the relationship, cannot heal from it. The third option is that these are people who both look at, okay, what was my part in it? What did I, what was my contribution to this? And then they move forward. But many times they can't. So, but the betrayal is something that it's not necessarily a, if a person feels betrayed, that's up to them. If someone else can say, well, I really didn't do anything, you don't get to vote on this. The other person is the one who feels betrayed. Now, what happens if you no longer feel attracted? That's a real issue for many, where a body has changed or someone has um, no longer is taking care of themselves, they've gained a tremendous amount of weight or, you know, because for many people, it doesn't matter. You know, they're, they still like someone, you know, they're still attracted to their partner, you know, even if, you know, when they start getting gray hair, when this happens, when that happens, that's the norm. But if you're no longer attracted because, you know, and that's when you will see people switch up. And every single one of their girlfriends will kind of have, or, you know, male friends or whoever they're attracted to, they'll all have the same look. Well, that's, you know, it's just sort of like replacing new parts. And I still remember this one woman who wrote an ad in the New York Times saying, I'm this, I'm 27, I have this look, I'm this, that, and everything else, and I'm looking for someone who makes, you know, 500000 a year, blah, blah, blah. And this one guy wrote back, and I thought, good for you. And he just blasted her, and he said, look, let's be really clear here. You are a depreciating asset. You are 27. Someone might be with you for two years, and then that's it. Then you no longer, you aren't what you are claiming to be. And I thought, good for him, you know, up front. But I also thought, good for her. You know, she gets what she wants, but who knows. Now, what happens if you're bored, and that's another reason. Many times women will go into a physician's office and say, oh, I have absolutely no libido. And I have one friend of mine who's a top physician, and she said, really, what they are is bored. And she said, I literally tell them to get your books. And I said, well, thank you. Because she said, that's what they don't have. They don't have the variety. And that's what all of my books bring is variety, change, ideas, behaviors, techniques, things that people can try in the privacy privacy of their own home. And, and I remember when Sherry said to me, she said, they're just bored. She said, because their hormonal panels are fine. Now, what happens if it hurts, if it's painful? And that's something that happens for a lot of women as they get older and also after having if they're on you know, different medications or if they're perimenopausal. And that doesn't make for enjoyable sex at all. If it's, if it's painful, it's like, no thanks, no thanks. And that's then is a discussion of what else can you do? Do you do more manual stuff? Do you do things with toys? That's the stuff you need to look at incorporating because most people still want to be able to give someone pleasure um, and they don't want to hurt someone. If there's vulvodynia, that's like, that is a real, it's a, a Debbie Downer to put it mildly for one's libido. Now what happens if there's medications that are being taken? What happens if there's something that an antidepressant is killing libido? That there's no sensation. Those things can happen. One thing that I think for many people, medications, there's, there's a time and a place for medications. No question. But the problem with the majority of medications now is the majority of them have some pretty intense side effects. And then you're given another drug for the side effects. Well, what do you think that does? So the polypharma of what people are doing to themselves right now is interrupting sex lives, libido, and good sex in a really horrendous way. And you know, there are all of the study buddies, the Adderall, the Ritalin that students are taking in college, that is giving some of these guys erectile issues. And as men have told me, when you are in college, you should be able to hammer nails with that thing. And, but I know that there are some of them That are using it in order to study, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, yeah, they can stay focused, but it's also impacting their own body's general functioning. And now, what happens? You can try different natural, you know, uh, things. You can try um, uh, therapeutic essential oils. There are many other things that you can use. And one of the biggest things is changing what you're eating. Your food is your drug and that can really make a difference to um, how your body feels and how your sexual interest is. Another real problem for people going in to see a therapist, their partner won't listen. So they're doing as many things, they're trying to tell their partner, I don't like that or I really prefer this and what's the thing that happens? The person still doesn't listen. They still keep doing that. Um, Now... When I ask people about their own libido and why things have gone off the rails, one of the first questions I ask them is, how often are you masturbating? And the reason I ask that is that the self-pleasuring masturbating is one of the best indicators of libido. And put, I'll put it this way. In When there was a study done of women who had a huge increase in their libido when they were pregnant, one of the biggest things these women, what these women were asked about is not how much sex are you having, but how often are they masturbating? And these are the women who had like a 40% increase in their libido during their pregnancy. And again, as I said, it was a meta-analysis of a whole range of different studies um, about sexuality, sex during pregnancy. But that was the big thing is how often are you masturbating? And the other thing for many people, just because you're having sex doesn't and it may be actually more of a habit than, you know, and it's not that pleasurable. This is something where if, if it's boring, if it's the same and it's not pleasurable, it's, there's really that's one of the biggest reasons why people stop doing things. If people are honest with one another about, I want to try something new, I'd like to add this in, it's, you know, it, 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 the sex never matches what many people are thinking is going to be happening in adult films, which is why you don't use that as the thing. You can use it as a way to change up a position, but, and, and that's why many people go like that. They keep doing that. They're touching too roughly, they're doing things too quickly. One thing too is that sometimes for men as they get older, the last thing they want to do is lose their erection. So they want to get it in as quickly as possible, and the woman may not be ready, she may not be lubricated enough, but you know, he's worried he's going to lose his erection. Um so any questions you have, go to my website lupaget.com hit the contact send your question and who knows i may be talking about it on one of my next shows as i did for the gentleman who sent in his question earlier today have a great rest of the week again check out my books and have a good week stay cool bye for now
0: for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget, Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget.